This is the Tao of Christ, and I'm Marsha Davis. This episode is going to be different than my regular ones. Today I'm going to be broadcasting an interview with Corey Farr. Corey is an American who works with Syrian refugees in Lebanon. On his website, he calls himself a seminary graduate, a Christian anarchist, a writer, a poet, a songwriter, and a wannabe author. On his blog site, he writes that he blogs about faith and spirituality, singleness, Christian anarchism, evangelical cultural critiques, the Tao Te Ching, and anything else that promotes presence, patience, and peace. In his spare time, he does a podcast entitled A Christian Reads the Tao Te Ching. That's where I connect. I have loved the Tao Te Ching since I was in college 50 years ago, but it is rare to find another Christian who loves it as much as I do. Corey is one of those people. He has put in a lot of thought and time and effort into interpreting this Chinese classic from a Christian point of view. It is an extraordinary podcast, and I hope you check it out. It can be found through his website at coreyfar.com. I will put a link to it here as well. Corey is presently on a sort of sabbatical from his work in the Middle East and visiting family and friends in the United States. He's actually in New Hampshire at the moment, which is where he grew up and where I live. He contacted me when he was starting his podcast because he had come across my book entitled The Tao of Christ, which is a a Christian interpretation of the Tao Te Ching. He uses my version regularly on his show, along with many other more scholarly translations. Recently, he asked if I would be interested in being interviewed by him on his podcast, and I agreed. The original can be found on his show. He sent me the audio, and I have edited it a bit and am rebroadcasting it here. He not only interviews me about the Tao Te Ching, but also about non-duality, and specifically the episode that I did on non-dual meditation. So we get into non-duality quite a bit. So here it is. I hope you enjoy it. Hi everyone, Corey here. As promised last week, things are going to be a little bit different for the next few weeks, but I am still very excited about what I have coming for you. Today, I have an interview that I did this week with Christian Tao Te Ching translator Marshall Davis. Uh, In case you haven't noticed in the past, I quote from Davis's translation quite a lot on the show because I really love it. Uh, And in some ways, we have a very similar um, philosophy of approaching the Tao Te Ching as Christians. So I reached out to him. I've corresponded with him in the past, and I asked him uh, this week if he'd be willing to do an interview, and he very graciously agreed. So we had a great conversation about how he discovered the Tao Te Ching, sort of his story, uh, what his process and philosophy of translation was, how he translated it as a Christian, bringing in some Christian language but staying faithful to the original text. And then we talk a lot about sort of a Taoist way of life, Taoist thinking, how he brings that into dialogue with his Christianity. Uh, He talks about God being in all things and God ultimately saving all things, Um, Christ being in all things, Um, a lot of really good stuff. Uh, He has some views that um, really resonate with me and then others that, you know, I'm still wrestling with or or maybe are different from the way I think. 
but that's okay. I really appreciate having uh, different points of view that prompt me to think, and of course, I hope uh, uh, stimulate you to think as well. So I invite you to listen to that today. Uh, Marshall, just so you know, I'm going to plug it here rather than in the middle of the episode. Uh, Marshall, of course, has his translation, which is called The Tao of Christ. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. And then he publishes content in quite a few places. Um, he has a podcast called The Tao of Christ, uh, which you can find at thedowofchrist.com. He also blogs at a, um, a blog called Spiritual Reflections, uh, which can be found at marshalldavis.us. His blogs are great. He talks a lot about non-dualistic Christianity and um, how we live that way in the modern world. So I personally am subscribed for email updates from that blog. Uh, They're usually very short but uh, power-packed, so I I highly recommend you subscribe to his blog uh, there. Again, marshalldavis.us. And then he has a YouTube channel where he um, uh, talks a lot about um, Christian non-dualistic thinking and prayer and different things. Um, with a very unique perspective, and you can find that at christiannonduality.net. And um, again, I'll put links to all of those in the show notes, um, but without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into that interview. Uh, One last thing, you may notice that the interview seems to cut off a bit short. Um, It just kind of seems like we finished up and said bye really quickly. Uh, There was about 10 minutes more to the conversation uh, where Marshall and I talked about some of my approach and some things that are going on in my life and how they relate to a Taoist outlook. But I felt like it didn't really add anything to the interview and it was either repetitive of things you've heard in the past or just things that I didn't feel quite ready to to broadcast to the whole internet. So um, the, the, the phone call did not cut off as quickly as it seems in the interview. But um, anyway, just uh, just ignore that and I invite you to go ahead and join us and listen uh, listen to this great interview today. So Again, without any further ado, here's me and Marshall Davis. Hi everyone, this is Corey with A Christian Reads the Tao Te Ching, and today I am interviewing Marshall Davis. Uh, Marshall Davis is a Tao Te Ching translator, a Christian Tao Te Ching translator, so he's done uh, some work on converting the text from the TTC into Um, Staying faithful to the original text, but also bringing in some Christian language and finding parallels with uh, the Christ and the way of Christ. So I look forward to asking him about his process today. Uh, Marshall's a former pastor living up in Sandwich, New Hampshire, which is not too far from where I grew up. Uh, So I am very excited to have him on the show. Thanks, Marshall, for joining us. Yeah, it's good to be here, Corey. Um, So anyway, as you've probably noticed, if you've listened at all to the show, I love your translation a lot. I quote it very frequently. Uh, I think we had a lot of um, similar kind of feelings about the Tao Te Ching uh, as Christians who uh, discovered it. But for those of us who don't know you, including me, I don't know too much of your story. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you discovered the Tao Te Ching? All right. I discovered the uh, Tao Te Ching in college. I took a Chinese philosophy course, actually. And I uh, dedicated my Tao of Christ book to the professor, actually. And in this Chinese philosophy course, we covered lots of the Chinese classics, including the Tao Te Ching. So that was my first contact with it. And then I liked it so much that I took another course from this professor. His name is Malin Hep on classical Chinese to learn and be able to translate something 
from classical Chinese. And what we actually did was translate some of the Tao Te Ching oh. as part, part of the class. So that was my original contact with it. And that was probably around 1970 or something like that. So it's been a while. Okay. <laughs> I did that. So I uh, loved it from the, from the very beginning and have loved it all my life and have read it regularly, you know, ever since. Okay. So that's, uh, that's what, that's 50 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Um, so how, I didn't realize, uh, so how good's your classical Chinese now? Can you pick up the text oh, no, and read it? No, Pretty, no, not no. at all. No, I couldn't do it at all. I, uh, I know enough to, to know how difficult it is and the nuances of it yeah. and, the, and the fluidity of it. It's almost like poetry. These mm. are characters so that there's a range of interpretation in it, which gives you a certain flexibility yeah. in it. Yeah. Oh, I know that. I mean, I, I use 15 translations right. when I prep for the show, and it's like sometimes they sound like two different books. So, right. Uh, right. so it's it's really fun to do. But um, tell us a little bit about translate. When did you do the uh, the Tao of Christ translation? Uh, 2013. So seven okay. seven years ago. Okay. And how long was that process of working through that? I'd imagine it was a long oh. time, but. I would read it. I would look at also the different different translations. I would use it for my own personal devotions. I would just kind of live with it for a while, and then I would attempt to translate it. And then, of course, I would have to come back and edit it and so, so forth. So it probably took me, I would say, maybe six months. To wow. Do, okay. To do that. Yeah. I would have expected even longer, maybe, but no. that's uh, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it's. I can't imagine that it would be really difficult. But uh, what would what would you say was the biggest challenge, or some of the biggest challenges of working through that translation, um, and then keeping in mind that you were trying to do kind of a unique approach as far yeah. as the doubt of Christ. Yeah, I wanted to be able to communicate this to Christians. Uh, there's enough that I'm just trying to do it from the standpoint of Chinese culture and spirituality but because as a christian i resonated so much with it i wanted to make that connection give the other people that connection and so i purposely for example when the uh, when the lao tzu would uh, talk about the master or something like that i would put in a christ for that mm -hmm. and i wherever i saw parallels to scripture i would either quote or paraphrase scripture mm -hmm. uh, as part of the Tao Te Ching, to show that that there's a connection, that they're talking about the same thing, mm -hmm. uh, just two different cultures, you know, talking about the same reality. To do that in a way that felt natural to Christians was probably the hardest part. But first, you know, it's only a certain type of Christian that would even pick it up, first of all. Uh, right. uh, too many think there is nothing outside of Christianity, no inspired books outside of Scripture. But for those that were open enough, I did this for them. And basically for me, it was, it was my way of trying to process it myself and put it in Christian thought and language. Right. Yeah, that's great. I, I, so you kind of answered the question already. I was kind of asked, like, where did the Tao of Christ title come from? But I think you hit on that. Yeah, the, the Tao of... is Christ, as, as far as I'm concerned. And I, I say in the, in the preface, and I think that you even mentioned it on your show, that earliest Chinese translation of the New Testament uses the word Tao for Christ. And the understanding of 
Christ being the eternal logos, which is the power, reality, what do you want to call it, behind the universe, is exactly what the Tao is. Mm. And uh, I was doing this, interpreting the Tao Te Ching as if this was all about Christ. Yeah. So it was really a, an act of love that way, because this is about Christ, written five, six hundred years before Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. What I picked up on was kind of like, you know, the Tao being sort of the universal Christ, as right. Richard Rohr calls it, right. um, which I think is something you talk about quite a bit in your videos, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and then sort of Jesus Christ, the human being like the master or, or the wise person or the sage, right. as sort of the, the physical or tangible example of that for us. Right. Um, again, you, jump, you, you answered my next question was, um, <laughs> were there any surprising rewards uh, to doing this? It sounds like you kind of already hit on that. Um, and I've, I've just really appreciate how you do that, how you process that and bring in sort of biblical language at times while staying faithful to the text. Um, I was trying to find a good example here. I'm flipping through. I should have pulled some up before, but I think... Yeah, uh, I don't have mine with me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you talk about Christ feeding the hungry. You know, you right. you use sort of um, when God gives and takes away, can you accept it as God's will? So that's a great line. That verse from Job is actually really sort of a life verse for me as right. I've gone through some hard things. Uh, but I mean, you're capturing the idea of the original text, but you're you're just making the parallel to the, to Scripture really obvious it's kind of right in your face so you've made my job a little bit easier in some ways um and uh you know i think it was actually your translation that was one of the big inspirations for the show um just as far as the idea coming along so thank you for that um what would you say i mean what was your process of translate we'll get to some of the themes in a minute but what, what was your process you know was it do a chapter a day or was it i mean you said you compared would, uh... other translations and I would read it from different translations. I would meditate upon it. I would think about it. I would take notes of where my mind goes in Christian scripture when I was reading this and then try to put it all together in a way that remained faithful to what the Tao Te Ching actually says. So trying to make it as much as possible, not a paraphrase. Right. But you have to, if you're going to be using Christian language, obviously. All translation, you could say, is a paraphrase to a certain extent, because you're trying to, not only from one language to another, and they're so different, these two languages, uh, but one culture to another, and from one time period to another. It's amazing to me that we can, uh, we can understand it so clearly, mm. that the same reality that the Tao Te Ching is talking about is our reality now that we can participate in and know. And uh, I guess that was really the inspiration, maybe one of the inspirations for this, because I saw this as what I know to be true. Mm. And there it is in the Tao Te Ching. And this is, this is Christ. This is God I know from scripture. This is the essence of the gospel of, right. of what Jesus preached as far as the kingdom of God. So just to be able to open that up and maybe open it up to people that are not Christians and have pretty much dismissed Christianity or are about to dismiss Christianity because they're reconsidering their spirituality, they can see that they don't necessarily have to, that they can integrate it 
into a wider understanding of what truth is, because so much of Christianity, especially right now, especially in America, <laughs> is so um, provincial and so narrow and so exclusivistic that so many people, when they start to get a glimpse of something bigger, they just kind of jettison their the Christian heritage in order to adopt something else. And they do. Mm -hmm. They adopt Buddhism or Hinduism or whatever, right? some type of generic spirituality. You don't have to do that. It's right here in our Christian tradition. You go back in Christianity, you can see places where, where this was much more to the forefront, what, what the Tao Te Ching talks about, especially early Christianity. Right, right. And it's like, I felt that before, like he's hitting on these deep spiritual, like you said, we can still understand it today because he's yes. kind of touching on the core human spiritual experience, right. right? right? And so that works, as you said, in two directions. It can work as Christians when we read it, like right. even though he may not have the Christ message or, you know, the message of Jesus of Nazareth, he's he's tapped into the way God created us to be and the needs and the desires and the kind of the way of the universe, as you said, as, as he says. And so there's right. a sense in which you know, we can learn from what he has to say, but then going the other direction, we can also kind of talk to those who, as you said, are not Christians. You know, I have a lot of listeners actually who are, would not consider themselves Christians. And I'm, I'm really happy to, to hear that they can also kind of hear that like, oh, wow, there's, you know, I may have rejected Christianity, but there's something interesting about this, um, you know, the way that these tie together from two very different parts of the world and time periods in history. And Right. I don't know. I've just found that overlap to be yeah. interesting. And, and um, the fact that in the Acts of the Apostles, it says the earliest Christianity was simply known as the way. Mm -hmm. So here it is, is known as the Tao. At the very beginning, Jesus himself said, I am the way. Christianity is just a label applied to it later. Even Christian is just a label applied to it later. This is much bigger than Christian. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. And that's what I love so much about reading it. Um, I wanted to ask you, you kind of segued into this nicely. I'm going to give you two questions that kind of relate together and you can decide what order to tackle them in. Um, one is kind of the what we've been talking about. What, what would you say are the biggest or some of the biggest parallels to you know, being an evangelical and reading the Tao Te Ching? Although I don't like to use the word evangelical anymore. I don't know about you, but <laughs> in today's world, it's uh, it just feels like it's been wrapped up into politics so much. And so uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that too, uh, but I would ask you that. Yeah, <laughs> no, I see your email devotionals and I love, I appreciate them. But so like some of the parallels, but I think my, my bigger question, because I've been asked this one a lot is what has been the response or what was the response from your friends or your family or your congregation as you kind of started to talk about this? I know you're from rural New Hampshire, so I'm sure there was a lot of, uh, um, at least for me, talking to my friends and family in rural New Hampshire, there was some kind of just like it's totally unfamiliar and there's a hesitancy and there's kind of a, you know, uncertain if you're trying to blend two religions or what that is. So what, right. what was your experience there? Where I am in New Hampshire, it's a little bit different than where I was before I came back to New Hampshire. Okay. Here, I'm part of a congregation that is quite open to such things. Uh, I could never have done it. I wasn't at that place anyway you know, when I was in Pennsylvania earlier, where I was at that point in my life, much more of an evangelical, much more conservative. And then I was basically starting to, to deconstruct that 
in between the transition from there to here. But once I, once I came here, this community, both the, both the town, which is very small, of only a thousand people, and the church are both quite open to such things. So I didn't really have too much of a problem with that. Of course, there are always some folks that right. think, I, I, had, I had one one person, for example, one family that just thought I was, had gone over the deep end and <laughs> thought I was teaching reincarnation or something. I, and I said, you've never read the Tao Te Ching if you think the Tao Te Ching is about reincarnation. But <laughs> they, all, all they, they, they just hear something foreign, something Eastern. So they just kind of combine it with anything they happen to know about Eastern religion. So uh, I haven't had too much of a, of a backlash in the church I actually go to now. They've been very embracing. Uh, we've actually uh, studied it. Uh, they asked me to, to lead it. So I've, been, I've, I've studied it there and uh, they've, they've been very open to it. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad so to hear I, that. Yeah. So maybe I haven't had to go through the trials and tribulations that maybe you have had to go through in, in putting it out there. I'll be but, honest, I was surprised at how positive the response has been. And I, I haven't had a lot of negative feedback. And I don't know good. if that's because my, my thought is because I always say kind of, hey, this is not unfaithful to the gospel in my mind. And I think it's so foreign that even my really conservative friends and family, they don't even quite know what to say about it. <laughs> it's like Right. That's what, that's what I think. When I used to link this, I don't do it so much anymore on my Facebook. The, the silence was deafening. You know, mm. as far as people not knowing how to respond and not liking it. So they don't want to be negative, but they don't know how to be positive or whether they should be positive. So right. it's just kind of, it's, it's not talking about this. Maybe Marshall get over this, you know, in time or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. Grow out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm <laughs> too, growing too into it. Too late for that. Yeah, exactly. I think I've been growing Grow into, into it. Grow into it. Yeah. That's what, what this is about. Um, so listening to some of your videos. Um, this one wasn't directly related to the Tao Te Ching, but on another sense, it's very related. Uh, you talked about meditation and you talked about how you used to, well, you've always, correct me if I'm wrong, you've had a daily meditation practice for a long time now, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there were periods of time when I was going through my more conservative, evangelical, and even Calvinistic phase. That's when I stopped doing it because mm -hmm. it was so foreign and it was so that perspective is so against this and thought it was so dangerous that I just, I left it behind. Right. Then I came through that and started up again and I've been doing it ever since. So I have a daily meditation practice. Yes. Okay. And uh, you, you mentioned that you've done a lot of different techniques or right. approaches and you even taught different techniques. And then right. you said that with time, you've come to this place now where, um, there is no technique. You said everything kind of goes, and I'd ask you to explain that for us, but you made this amazing quote. Uh, you said, there's nothing anyone can do to wake up, to be enlightened, to be saved, or to become one with God. We simply need to be aware of what is already the case. We already have within us what we have been searching for. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on meditation practices and then how you got to the point you're at now. Yeah, that I think is an expression of what Christianity would call grace. Mm. This is purely uh, a gift of God. And I think it is a gift of God to every human being. And it's a gift of God, of God's self, to every human being. Mm. We dwell in God, in whom we live and move and have, and have our being, as Paul said. 
And God is in us, as the scripture says over and over again. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is within you and the kingdom of God is, is all around us in, in our midst. This is a gift to all humanity, so you can see right there that I'm not into predestination and I'm not into uh, saying who's in and who's out. Because I think we're all in because we're all in God. I mean, mm. if God is truly omnipresent, then we are all in God and you can't be outside of God. And it's just a matter of being aware of that, being awake to that, and living out of that reality that we are in now. And so my meditation practice changed from, from trying to achieve something, which is what Christian prayer, so much of spiritual discipline is. It's about trying to improve yourself and trying to take away the bad and get the good and get closer to God. But at some point you realize you're getting closer to a God that's closer to you than you are. Mm. And there's nothing, nothing to do. You're, everything is a purely a gift, purely grace. And it's simply to stop fighting it and to open yourself up completely to, to God and to Christ and the spirit or whatever words you want to use for that. I mean, as a Christian, those are the words I use. Other spiritual traditions would use other words, for the same reality. I tend not to use those because I'm speaking from a Christian perspective and to people that even if they aren't Christian, they've come out of that Christian perspective. So that's why I use words like this. I think this is the gospel that, that Jesus preached. I think this is the kingdom of God that he talked about. I think this is what Jesus really meant by being born again. What he was trying to communicate to, to Nicodemus in John 3. And I just think that Christianity has basically misinterpreted it, has missed the boat has narrowed it down into a religious narrowness and exclusiveness. Exclusiveness. Okay. So you're, so from, from your point of view, it's kind of, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe sounds more like um, just a, a opening your eyes to what already is right. rather than maybe, you know, I don't know. What would be your thoughts on like death and rebirth or, or repentance or things like that? What do you mean um, by death and rebirth? You mean by... Like mean, dying to self, I should say. Dying to self, as Paul yes. says, and then being... Yes, and that, Christ, that is being... a process. Both of these are true. You don't have to do anything, but when you just let it be, then this thing that you do is a result. It's kind of like in the, in the traditional way of understanding faith works. The idea is you don't do these works in order to be saved. But once you accept the grace of God by faith, then you do these works. It's, okay. it, that's, it's the same, it's a pattern. It's the same, it's a parallel to that. There is a process of dying to self. Once we realize that the self is nothing, that self dissolves, disappears in the presence of God. The, Isaiah says, I am undone. Chapter six of Isaiah, we are undone in the presence of God. Once we kind of uh, realize that, then we have to work that out, work out our salvation, if you will, in our lives by shedding more and more of those habits of the self. What Paul would talk about is the flesh, socks, uh, which is not talking about the body, but he's talking about these habits that we have developed that are not consistent with God or with the spiritual life or you know, with Christ in us. And those have to be shed and are naturally shed, I think part of the spiritual life. Yeah, and there's a, I'm seeing a parallel there to chapter 38 in, in the Tao Te Ching, which I just uh, did an episode on a few weeks ago, where um, 
when you lose the tau, then you go to goodness or virtue or te. And then when you lose that, then you go to um, morality or ritual or morality or benevolence. And then when you lose that, you go to ritual and etiquette. And then when you lose or when you lose that, you're just kind of have a, a husk of a faith. So it almost sounds like this idea of um, kind of like what you're saying, when you when you wake yes. up to that, you just find yourself naturally progressing in right. virtue and becoming right. more filled with yeah. with Te or the virtue of the day. Right. right. It's the whole idea of, of following the law in traditional Christian theology. You we aren't bound by the law, but in God, we naturally follow it. But God wants the way virtue or whatever you want to call it. It's a part of what it means to walk in the spirit if you want to use more traditional, you know, evangelical language. But it's the same thing. That's that's the thing. You know, the Christian gospel and the, not just teaching of Jesus, but even a lot of what Paul is, it's right there in the in the Tao Te Ching and in other spiritual traditions as well. You just have to do the work of interpreting different language and different systems of thought okay okay yeah and so my question for you would be because a lot of what you're saying i feel i'm like i'm hearing universalism you know the idea that all will be saved whatever that means necessarily but what's your reaction to that word or what uh you know when i say are you a universalist what's kind of your uh your instinctive reaction i guess i would say yes <laughs> okay. I think it's all one anyway. I think it's all all of God. God is not against himself. Jesus talked about a kingdom against itself can't stand. We're all in God. It's just a matter of not whether we acknowledge that and whether you will abide in that and live from that or whether you want to fight against it. If you fight against it, then you're if you want to use that Christian language outside the will of God, you're, and there's going to be suffering there and there's going to be pain and there's going to be the gnashing of teeth and all that stuff that the Bible talks about. I mean, if you go against the way, then there's, there's going to be a lot of bad stuff that happens in your life. It doesn't mean there's not going to be bad stuff if <laughs> when you, you do, right? But it's different types of bad stuff. And yeah, you get, yeah. uh, it's not this self-created suffering that we do so much to ourselves you know we are our own worst enemies often hmm. which was actually the title of one of the the episodes i did a while back so oh okay yeah do you i mean i was kind of seeing that idea in in the Tao Te Ching. do you see that so see you're saying sort of it's more of a any any quote-unquote punishment or judgment is more of a uh um just sort of a natural consequence of going against the way of the universe. You're talking about yeah. hell and afterlife and all this stuff. Is what you're oh, I don't believe about? in hell, but <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm an annihilationist at best. Right, uh, right. I'd love to be a universalist. I haven't quite gotten there, but I think God wants to be a universalist too, since He says His will is that no one should perish. You know, that should perish. I mean, so. if you, uh, I mean, you have to. If God is truly omnipresent, then God is. Has to include hell, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is. You know, they, how can it not be? God is fulfilling His will through us. So anyway, I don't, I don't see how it's possible for us not all to be ultimately in God and actually presently in God now. I mean, mm. it's 
there's no no real difference between now and later. This is the kingdom of God, and this is salvation now. This is eternal life now. Okay, uh, okay, interesting. So, you're, so I, I guess my my question. I mean, that's that's great. I love that. My my question. Hearing you talk about you know bad things happening or suffering or anything, it sounds like you were kind of saying this is more of a a natural consequence or a natural just. Um, like when you choose to go against the way or when you're not, um, you know, in the flow of the Tao or in the flow of the way or in the flow of the Holy Spirit, then things happen, but it's just because you're pushing against the flow. It's not right. because there's right. this arbitrary judgment kind of thing coming right. on you. Okay. I mean, if you decide to go against the law of gravity and jump off a building, you're going <laughs> to suffer the consequences. You know what I mean? There it's the go. same type of, there's a way of nature. There's a way of gravity, you know, there's a, you know, you have to be able to know it enough to respect it and to go with it. Right, right. And I think Jesus did when the, the accuser told him to jump off the temple, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's a really good example. I like that. I might use that. Um, coming back around to meditation and uh, what you call contemplative prayer in that same video, um, again, you talk about having techniques in the past, but now you have no technique. Um you said already they can get in the way they can kind of become a means to an end or a, you know, trying to get something. Um, and then you said, I don't use any technique. You said, uh, I quote, there's no such thing as a distraction in meditation because everything simply is what it is. And so you were saying, you know, if I have thoughts come up or whatever, I, unlike, you know, mindfulness, which tells you to just kind of let those thoughts be, um, it sounded like you were saying you'll just follow those train of thought. What do you, I mean? No, I, uh, I, I just let them be. Uh, they are an expression of what is, expression of reality, expression of my body and my mind. And uh, that is within God. That's not outside of the will of God. So I don't try to fight it. Okay. You start fighting it and you're, you're just getting, getting involved. You're, resisting evil she's talking about do not resist evil which is hard for us to get our minds around but i think mm. that's the same principle here that it's all somehow within the will of god so we can accept it and not fight against it and when we do that then it falls away by itself you could say okay so maybe the best way to get a perspective on what this idea of no technique looks like could you tell us a little bit about because it's kind of hard it's like i don't do you know, yeah, it's kind techniques. of hard to talk about something that's not there, but go right. ahead. Could you tell us maybe some of, historically, you say you've tried different ways of meditation, different techniques. If you could tell us about some of those, and then I would ask you, um, do you see that there's still benefit in people trying to follow one of those, maybe as a, a stepping stone on the way? Or, I mean, do you think the techniques are bad in and of themselves? Or So, yeah, if you could no. just describe some for us. Um, okay. I did a number of classes with, I mean, I was part of a program at the Shalem Institute in Washington, D.C., uh, Shalem Institute for Spiritual Formation, and I was in their spiritual director for, for group direction with them. And during that time, we learned a lot of different techniques of contemplative prayer, and we learned how to create our own variations on that. And I did that and led in my church at the time a group of contemplative prayer, a meditation group, they commonly called it. It would be things like, like centering prayer, which is very 
well known in Christian circles, where there's simply a word that you repeat, but not like a mantra that you that you 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 bring to your mind whenever your thoughts start to be distracting. You realize all of a sudden you're you're lost in your thoughts, then you bring this word back to your mind again and it centers you in God's presence. It should be a word that will evoke God and God's presence for for Christians have to be, be you know like Jesus or God or something or Christ or something like grace this. grace yeah, maybe like or something grace like that. Okay. peace you know shalom uh, all, all types of all types of things so that's a, that's a very common thing the Jesus prayer Lord Jesus Christ Son of God have mercy on me a sinner which sounds a little bit negative to some people that are in the contemplative prayer as a Eastern Orthodox spiritual tradition. That becomes a very centering type of thing. And then there's the Lectio Divina, which is simply reading of scripture and entering into that in your imagination. So that's a type of prayer. And I did did a lot of that because it was scripture-based and people felt very comfortable with scripture-based meditation. So So I did a lot of that. It was always seemed to be when I did that for people and led people in it, whether they were doing it right or not whether it worked or not, whether it was producing the results or not. So it's always this kind of goal-oriented type of thing, which defeats the whole purpose of this. Because if the kingdom of God truly is here now, if, if the Tao truly is here now, then we don't have to do anything in order to achieve it or work toward it. Or, you know, just like we were talking about before. So I just cut through that. They all seem to be this huge Gordian knot that people in spiritual circles get all wrapped up in, and they, they can't find the way through these spiritual disciplines. And Christians do that too. So many Christians, are just they have a certain understanding of what their quiet time, their devotional life, their Bible reading, their prayer ought to be. And if it doesn't result in anything, they don't feel like they're growing in the spirit or something, then they just drop away from it. They get frustrated. But this cuts through all of that. You don't have to have any of that because God presents himself, God's self, to us right here now. And all we have to do is just be there, be here in God's presence. So that's no technique at all. I don't have to use any technique to be in the presence of my wife. Mm-hmm. You know, I just have to be there. The Looks like she's sitting wife. there in the background, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> I saw her Maybe. hand. I saw yeah, okay. hand a few times. So. <laughs> uh. See, I didn't have to do anything. She was here. You know, see? It's, uh, it's the same, same thing. Uh, I think a lot of Christians don't act on what they say they believe. Right. As far as the uh, omnipresence and the, you know, omnipotence and the the omniscience of God. If you really believed all this stuff, you wouldn't have to agonize through prayer and worry about what God's will is. You would just relax and abide in Christ and God. And that's the reality that I experience, mm. I feel. So it sounds a lot like maybe like mindfulness meditation or something like that. I think mindfulness is... It is like it. Yes. Yeah. So sort of a, I mean, I've talked about it here before in the show because I see it as very Taoist and I've kind of just described it as, you know, it's nothing spooky or weird. It's just kind of a sitting there and being present to yourself and your body and your environment and just kind of letting any preoccupying thoughts, you know, just acknowledge them, acknowledging them, letting them pass you by, not trying to fight them or anything, but just kind of, and so 
I hear that that might be what you're saying. But. It is similar. There's it's a difference insofar as mindfulness doesn't take that next step of falling back into the reality that's behind your mind hmm. or falling back into the mind of Christ. Paul says we have the mind of Christ. If that's true, then let's use it. Let's yeah. be in it. Let, let it be in us. Let us be in it. So it's, it's, it's somewhat, somewhat different than mindfulness, it seems to me. Mindfulness seems to be, the way I understand it, very aware of and centered on what you are doing at the moment. You're going to eat mindfully. You're going to meditate mindfully. You're going to, whatever you do, walk down the street mindfully, which means that your mind is on that. But this is not really that. This is your mind is, is off of that, kind mm. of. Your mind is outside, beyond, or whatever. So it's, it's not exactly the same thing, but they are related, it seems. Okay. Okay. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, there's, there's some types of mindfulness meditation where you, you kind of sit with your eyes closed and just kind of do that. And so I love that way of saying, you know, similar to that, but not, but going to, I think you said, what's behind it? Um, what's behind your mind? Is that how you said it? Yeah, I did I, say that. I love that. I like that. I mean, it's, uh, it's intriguing and it's kind of captivating and I'm yeah, going to take some time to think kind of about out of that. your mind to do that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so this might be a good, uh, transition. It's a bit of a, I wanted to ask you a question about a chapter from the Tao Te Ching. This is the last question I had, and then I'll okay. you know, ask if you have any comments. Um, this one's a bit of a selfish question because this is the next chapter that I'm currently preparing for on an episode and I don't quite know what to do with this line. So I thought, you know what, I might like to ask Marshall's opinion on it and see what he might have to say. And I think there's a sense in which it kind of uh, gets at this idea of what's behind reality or what's behind, not behind reality, but sort of behind all the, all the things, you know, the, the things that we name and categorize. Yeah, the appearances, yeah. Yeah. And um, chapter 42 of the Tao Te Ching, it starts off, there's about a million translations. You know, what, let me read from your translation. Um, the the, uh, the non-Christian translations say the one begot, or the Tao begot one, or the Tao gives birth to one, one gives birth to two, two gives birth to three, and then three gives birth to all things. 10,000 things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the 10,000 things. And so it's, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing this idea of like, okay, there's a unity and then there's a duality and then there's something that sort of transcends that duality. Uh, you translated it as God created unity, which created duality, which created Trinity, um, and then which created all things. And so I'm curious, what's, what's kind of your thought on what to do with that passage? Um, I think that's, it's the Tao Te Ching's creation story, if you will. Interesting. Okay. It's how things came into being. I mean, uh, in Christianity, we have this very dualistic, if you will, you know, God over here, you know, creating something that's out there, except from God. Very different than in the, in the Tao Te Ching, where, where one just naturally flows from the other. I don't like the traditional Christian dualistic understanding. I think that everything, I understand God is creator. I use that term. But I use that as God being the source of all that is. And that God is really in flesh in all that is. Which means that the doctrine of creation and incarnation are very closely related. 
God is expressed in all that is, including every person that is, but also every tree and every rock that is and every animal that is. That everything is an incarnation of God. That's why nothing could be separate from God. That's why universalism, if you will, has to be, has to be the case, it seems, because God can't be against God's self. So I see it all as, uh, to, to summarize, as, as the creation of the world and as an expression of the Tao or an expression of Christ. And of course, there are passages in the New Testament that you know where, where the Logos is the instrument of creation and at the same time, the end, the end result of creation, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All things will be united in Christ, just like every, everything came forth from Christ. So there is this rhythm and this death and resurrection. You were talking about that in your recent episode, your recent episodes too, you know, yeah. the cycle of life, yeah. of uh, death and resurrection. But this is more of simply an, an expression, an emanation, if you will. And of course, people will, Christians will look at this and say that I'm talking about pantheism or something like that. But uh, uh, I don't care about the label. I think this is what the reality is. Hmm. uh, Richard Rohr and others talk about panentheism. Right, Um, right. The idea that God is is in all things. It's not that all things are God. That's a compromise Uh, for for Christians. (laughs) But again, these just labels. How can you, what's the difference between pantheism and panentheism? I don't know. I understand the technical difference okay. with everything is God, everything is in God. I know there's a difference there, but there seems to be a splitting of hairs to me, you know, mm, interesting. as far as if we're talking about experiential reality, you can't split hairs when it comes to experiential reality. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it's almost like boils down to this ontological, philosophical kind of question of what system are you going to be working with? Right. And uh, there's a resistance to those kind of systems. In the Tao Te Ching and in, you know, non-dualistic right. thinking. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I don't have a system. I, I be, I'm becoming more and more untheological as time goes on, <laughs> you know. Uh, theology, as soon as you start getting into it, it takes you away from God. It doesn't bring you toward God at all, it seems to me. Well, I had a little bit of a <laughs> philosophical or theological question to follow that go, up Go with for it now. I just, I was wondering, I don't know if it's theological, but I was wondering why you think it stops at at three or at Trinity. You know, Tau creates one, creates two, creates three, and then all things. Do you think there's a reason for that? Do you think it has anything to do with non-dualism or, um, or is it arbitrary? It's hard to say, right? We can't get in yeah, his mind. I, but. Don't, uh, I think it's just a natural progression. We talk about the ABCs, we talk about one, two, three, you know, after okay. that. It just it's not 10,000 things either. It's a right. billion, billion things. So you don't necessarily see a very special significance to the, to the no, three? No, when I translated that, I used the word Trinity simply because that's the Christian word and that would connect the, that sacred threeness that we find in Christian scriptures to the, to the Tao Te Ching. But I didn't meditate upon the theological ramifications of that trinity father son holy spirit or whatever you know gotcha so you weren't saying that that's this is an origin of no trinitarian theology okay right right that clears something up yeah yeah um wasn't saying that the son proceeded from the father or the spirit or whatever you know right right that's all that all that all that controversy you know yeah sticky one um 
Well, anyway, that's that's all I have. I didn't know if you had anything you wanted to add or say to to the audience. Nope, uh, that's it. All right. Well, I thank you so much for coming on, Marshall, making time for me. Uh, it's been a great conversation. 